are AAALC, and we welcome everybody to our, our conversation. This will be a relaxed and open dialogue to give others a small window into how we feel and think. Today on our podcast, we have two special guests, but our usual cast members are Paul Bancroft Turner, Remar Christie, and myself, Elmer Turner. So, uh, Chris and Cheyenne, if you guys can introduce yourselves and tell us where, tell us about yourselves and where you're located and what you guys do. Sure. Go ahead, Cheyenne. You start. Okay. Um, I'm Cheyenne Brown. I am located in Salem, Oregon. I am the receiving clerk for my store. Um, I've been in Oregon for about going on three years now. I'm originally from California and I started with a company in, Al in Albertsons in California. And I'm Chris Nolambana. I'm the uh, Vice President of Merchandising Systems and Integration. Um, I've been with the company for just about 19 years. I'm currently in Boise. I've been here about three years, lived in uh, Northern California my entire life prior to that. Uh, so I'm still adjusting after three years to Idaho life, but it's all good. Um, and uh, I've also been previously the chair of the LGBTQ resource group, and I'm currently the chair of the Boise chapter of the Albertsons Pride Lines. Thank you, Chris and Cheyenne, for joining us for this uh, episode. The episode is titled Pride and Patriotism, uh, just to coincide with uh, Pride Month, which is June, and the 4th of July or Independence Month, which is next month in July. So uh, we really want to get to know you, Cheyenne, and you, Chris. So we're just going to ask you guys a few questions and just go from there. So you guys are both part of the Pride Alliance. And just wanted to get into uh, your story. Um, and if any of these questions come off ignorant, just excuse that because um, we're just, this is just a place for honest converse, honest and open conversations. And we just want to get to know each other. So I'm going to start with uh, Cheyenne and then we'll go to Chris. So, um, so how would you, I don't know, I, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase the question. Um, and well, before I phrase the question, should I just ask the question or just get into it? What do you guys? Yeah, whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm an open book. I mean, okay. Same here. Okay. Okay. So yeah, um, you guys are part of the the Pride Alliance. When did you guys know that you guys were gay or however you uh, call it? And was it early in life? Was it later in life? What was your experience, uh, Cheyenne? Um, mine was early life. I've always known since I think I can remember even just looking at people, I guess, in a sense of a way how I think of it. Um, I didn't come out to everybody until about my freshman year in high school, which was back in 08. So I came out to everybody, um, including friends and family. And it was it was interesting. You know, some of my friends took me in. I lost some friends. Um, I lost some family members. I don't talk to a lot of family members because of it. Mm -hmm. um, my biggest support group of my family is my grandmother. She is my best friend. I talk to her as much as I can, and we talk on the phone for like three hours when when we talk. And we just talk about anything and everything, and she is literally like my best friend. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you, you said you lost some... Um friends and a lot of friends and a lot of family what was that like for you you know struggling with that um 
lack of acceptance from people that you you know thought were your true friends and thought were your family what, what was that struggle like for you just dealing with that uh unacceptance um at that time of my age it was hard it it hurt me i felt that i was a different person i wasn't cheyenne i i was this different person to everybody else and at the time it was still a thing that everybody was still trying to accept and understand and so it also made it feel like that i was a disease to certain people because they're like oh you're gay don't come around me don't be near me so it kind of made me feel bad and i got into a really bad depression about it and it brought up a lot of suicidal thoughts but i had um my grandma has a support team and I met and some counselors in school that really were there for me and pushed me through. And I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am today without them. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'll switch over to Chris right now and just uh, ask you the same questions. Uh, you know, when did you come out? When did you know? And what was your experience uh, coming out? I think I read a little bit of your bio on the Alberton's homepage, but I would love for you to just share your your story with us. Yeah, there's there's nothing like uh, bearing your soul on a web page in your company. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, uh, I you know I'm I'm significant not significantly I'm older than Cheyenne, so I came out <laughs> in, a, in a different time, but only about four years apart. I was about 22 when I came out, and at that point, um, because I had been struggling with it, you know, I I had kind of ostracized myself from my family my parents had divorced and my mom and i are very close uh, and she was the first person i came out to and she said i know um and i was kind of shocked by that and i've, I've since learned that they're not really supposed to say that because it can be shocking to the individual that what you thought was a secret is not but it didn't bother me at all um but very contrary to cheyenne's story i never came out to my grandmother because I didn't think that she'd be able to accept it. And I always struggled with loving her too much to not want to hurt her. And to this day, I regret that decision because she might've been okay with it. Um, she might not have, but uh, either way, um, I kind of regret uh, not having done so. Um, and I kind of had to reinvent myself a little bit um, from that point forward, but um, similar experiences, feelings, not quite as much direct rejection from my family as what Cheyenne experienced, but um, certainly challenging. And I would just say, as is in the story that's online, most of my obstacles were self-imposed. It was not anyone else condemning me or telling me I was wrong or a bad person. It was all my own self-doubt that's taken years of combating to, uh, to move beyond. So, Chris, I have a quick question. Was it more of a and and Cheyenne, it's, this is to you as well. Were was it, at least more specifically to you, Chris. Was that not coming out to your grandmother more because of religious um, affiliation that she may have had, or absolutely? Yes? My my mother's family. My mother's adopted too, and I don't know my biological father. So for all my life, it's been kind of me and my mom as a dynamic duo that. We're, we're, she's the only blood I know, um, but her, my grandmother and all of her siblings, um, they grew up in the Dakotas and they were very poor, uh, but that didn't stop them from being very racist and very 
um, judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, they just said bad things, and they and they were Catholics. And I grew up in the Catholic Church for a little while until I started hearing messaging that I thought I don't think I'm welcome here. <laughs> and so right. it didn't take me long to realize um, that that probably wasn't my path. But that's exactly right, Elmer. Um, my grandmother was very devout. And it was primarily that that I thought that she she would have struggled with. Um, Same with you, Cheyenne. To piggyback on that, um, coming out to my grandmother was very hard because she comes from such a different era, obviously, than where I'm at. You know, she was born in the 40s, so that was right after she was born right after or just before World War II ended. So there was at times where she's seen, you know, the war ending and Vietnam and the um, discrimination going on in the 60s because she's from Chicago. She's from the Midwest. So I thought it was going to get reciprocated differently because of the generation she's from. But she pretty much was like, I don't care what, like, you're my grandson. I love you for who you are. Like, you're always going to be my grandson. And she welcomes me in open arms. And she jokes with me to this day is like, so when are you getting a husband? I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to get my, you know, my career going and try to figure out what I'm going to do with my life before I settle down. So calm down there, Grandma. <laughs> But that's encouraging to hear that, though. That's got to yeah. make you feel better. Uh, I think Paul had a question just now. My question really was, um, Chris, you mentioned, that you know, the, the generation difference between yourself and Cheyenne. And I think that, you know, Cheyenne coming out in 2008, to me, that, that seems like it would have been a time when it would have been a lot more acceptable than probably the time when you came out. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, I definitely different time, Paul, because, you know, when I was young, the AIDS epidemic was happening. And as a young child to see that and know that that was affecting people like you and hear really ignorant comments and um, have a president that refused to acknowledge that um, gay men and especially black gay men were at high rates dying uh, with no end in sight. It was scary. Um, so that and that was just something that was happening then. It was its own pandemic. Uh, but there was still a lot of closed minds. I even would say, you know, at that time, as I first as I got a little bit older and started going to clubs, even gays and lesbians didn't really mix as much. <laughs> you know, that that's progressed a long way. I think as a community, um, LGBTQ people um really stand together in a way that that we've evolved to. Uh, but yeah, it was a different time. There was still a lot of ignorance. There was still, you know, negative things being said, even on television. Um, and as we've shown on our timeline, you know, was in within my lifetime that the United States government was issuing, um, you know, communications throughout the federal government about us being sexual perverts and really not fit to hold office. Um, and, you know, that's intense. So, yes. I wouldn't say that when Cheyenne was going through it, we were all uh, completely enlightened, for sure. Uh, But there were certainly different challenges when I was his age. I also think, though, too, it goes off of where, where, so where I'm from, I'm from Bakersfield, California. It's a very, very conservative city. So you were judged no matter what. I was already being judged for being black. You know, I grew up in the ghetto, so... I was already being judged for that for where I lived. And then me on top of being gay, it just, it didn't help my case. So I was bullied between being black and gay. And then my name was Cheyenne because most people are like, oh, Cheyenne's a girl's name. And it's, and so that was, those things were my biggest struggles. 
and living in such a conservative city too was hard, but it also helped me get the thick skin that I have now. Mm. Yeah, that that's the part that really interested me because uh, you know I think about it today, and I, I think, do you think there would be more acceptance today than there even was in two thousand and eight? Oh, there's a it's changed a lot. There's definitely a lot more acceptance. There's <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I noticed once I graduated high school, a lot of um, a lot of high schools and stuff were doing safe zones, like counselors were being safe zone for children. And I've always fought for that with um, with me and with just other kids that dealt with it. But it wasn't quite the talk yet. But I think once, because in that in those four years, there's also a lot of kids committing suicide because of being bullied and everything. So I think that's when everybody finally started waking up. It was like, all right, we need to be a safe haven for these kids. And, you know, they're going through struggling times and stuff. And I, I would add that I think one major element to that is an omnipresent, uh, always alive digital media um, that was not in place when I was Cheyenne's age when he came out. Uh, AOL was just being stood up, you know, we were forming chat rooms and that was about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, now you look at outreach that has been enabled uh, through online presence. It's it's very different. And I, I, I'd like to think that people at least have more avenues to reach out to people when they don't have anyone in their direct sphere uh, to do so. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for sharing. I had a question from something that Chris said earlier. Uh, when you came out to your mom and she said, I know you said um, you shouldn't say that as a as an ally. And I just wanted to kind of ask, why is that? Um, yeah, uh, I and I learned that remark very recently um, from someone who's going to be a guest speaker next week at, uh, from PFLAG. And they, they didn't hear my story. They talked about that scenario and said a lot of parents that say that don't realize that they're um the the kind of whatever mask or veneer you thought you had wasn't really there and that can freak some people out right mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. you mean these people have no time <laughs> for me it's what i needed to hear from my mom and right. she was like i know and i don't care and right. you know i broke down anyway but that it was the right thing for me but i understand there's a whole whole new level of about the sensitivity of what you say to someone that's really just told you the most important thing they could tell you about their life Right. Um, and, you know, going with that as allies, if mm. someone within our family mm. or our community uh, comes out to us, how do we how should we respond to that? I know, like Chris was just talking about, probably shouldn't say I know because it it um, will freak that person out because the, the mask that they think they had on wasn't really, you know, hiding what they thought it was hiding. How would you guys say for allies when someone comes out to us how should how should we respond to that outside of having empathy and loving them the same uh, what like what's what's like the first thing that we should say to them or any suggestions on that um i don't know it's hard to say because everybody's coming out story is different right and so i guess it's I feel like it's based on the situation and how it's addressed. Um, the I know for me would be kind of heartbreaking because it's like, oh, I've had this secret. I've had to live with this secret 
you know, I'm scared to say anything. And for somebody to say that, it's like, okay, so have I been lying to myself this whole time? Or like, you haven't tried to like reach out and like, hey, like, let's have a talk, you know, maybe talk it out and see if there's something they can do to help out maybe in the situation. I just think it's based on the situation and how they come out to you, I guess, in a, in a sense of the way. Right. Um, so to flip that question back on you, what shouldn't we say when someone comes out to us? Um, right. I think it's all about reading your audience. I think okay. if you know the person and you feel like, so, I mean, in a situation, say you knew something about this person because you heard from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And when they tell you, you say, I know, they kind of look defeated, don't they? Yeah. I think that's in the same direction of saying that is they have something they want to tell you from their point of view mm-hmm. and not saying, I know because they knew or somebody told you. Right. Right. Gotcha. And I, I could add to that that, you know, uh, we just had Dr. David Hall who wrote a book called Allies at Work. And he talks a little bit about this. But one of the things I think that we hear from a lot of different organizations is just saying, thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate it. Um, and not much more than that, because it's just a it's an affirmative, uh, positive acknowledgement. And you're not setting out any um, expectation about where it goes from there. So just saying, I'm not offended. I'm not going to hold it against you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I do appreciate it. Um, is is in my mind a nice response? Okay, awesome. Uh, I think ET has something he wants to add. Can I can I, can I flip that question? Yeah. More? Yeah. Go ahead. So Father's Day is coming up, and um, I was talking to one of my homies uh, that I actually worked at Safeway together um, uh, back in the day, um, and he he shared with me uh, some stuff that was going on personally, and then he said, "Hey, you know." I don't want to say his name, my son. He said my son's name. Guess what? And I said, what? And the fact that he said it the way he said it could either mean one of two things. He's dead or he's gay. And and I said, well, what? what's up? And he said, you know, my, you know, he's gay. And I said, really? I said, how did you find out? And he said, he told me um, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, is are you the first person you know who who was the first how did it come up all that stuff i just wanted to know and he said um he was the last person everybody he told everybody else and he actually knew um he knew who he was a few years ago several years ago maybe four or five years ago when when he knew that he was gay but his father he didn't tell his father and i'm just saying as a as a male um, that loves my son or my daughter, I would be heartbroken if they mm-hmm. told everybody else and told me last, even if they think that I may have some sort of prejudice or prejudgment, right? Not necessarily a prejudice, but a prejudgment on on their situation. So since it's Father's Day, I think of him and I reflect on that and I reflect on that situation where, Chris, you didn't really want to tell your grandmother and you regretted it. You know, I, if if you can encourage, if and through this podcast, we encourage somebody to come out to somebody that's important to them. It, from my perspective and his perspective, he was devastated that he wasn't told. He right. could care less that he was he was gay. He didn't care. But what he did care about is that he was number one. He was afraid of his father or, or of some sort of judgment, and that he wouldn't love him. 
and that hurt him a lot yeah. and we we just kind of talked about that so just kind of wanted to throw that out there maybe you guys want to comment on that or i don't know i'd like to oh. i'd like to say something to that point um i think i understand what you're saying et but i think at the end of the day we have to go back to just thinking of that person that child and their perspective and here's my point i was sharing recently i was um a victim of uh sexual sexual abuse as a child as a teenager from someone who i really valued and looked up to and i never told my parents absolutely they have no idea and i look back and and i you know just looking back and wondering why i never did that and everything and in speaking to another a friend of mine who said something to me and i had to i had to say to her you know what because she was talking about her children and i said you know what when i think about myself and why i didn't tell anyone and i told nobody absolutely no one i held that in in fact what happened was i um i blocked it out i didn't remember for many many years and um and i told her i said i can't tell you why as a 14 or 15 year old i never said anything and if i went to my parents as an adult and told them that that happened and they were like well why didn't you say something etc i i can't tell you why I have no idea. I was also I was just afraid that how could I say something like that? You know, would they not believe me? Blah blah blah. So we have to kind of remember where that person is coming from and their thought process um and just and just accept that. Yeah. You know, I I I get it that the father cuz I would feel the same way if something happened. In fact, um you know, one of my children told me of a situation and they never told me. And I was I wasn't hurt just because I knew of my own situation, you know, but um, so I think going back to that, just to put some perspective on it, we have to look at whoever it is, a child or an adult or whatever their what whatever their circumstances is, how they feel and why they felt it about not saying something and just accepting that and taking mm -hmm. it as as what it is for what for what it is yeah. thank you for I, don't, sharing I don't know that. if that helps yeah thank you for sharing that and thank you for having the courage to share it on the podcast um i think that's as et was talking about that situation that's where my brain was going also i'm like how the person that son in that situation what was his perspective on it why was he afraid and just knowing like as Cheyenne and Chris were talking about, this is a huge um, situation when you're coming out to people that you love. So it's like the the from what I understand, the 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 process of taking that wall down to actually becoming yourself is not something to take lightly. And you know, we don't know what his relationship was is with his dad or if he's overheard conversations or whatever it is. Like there's there's got to be a reason that his dad was his was the last person that he talked to um whether or not his 
I, and I, I get his dad's feelings. Um, but you know, it's that, that, that kid's situation. He decided that that was the I, best for him. And he I, I say that story from, I, I say that story from knowing both sides and know both. I know the parent and I know the mm-hmm. kid, so I can, I can speak from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's a very loving father that does love his son that supports yeah. him in every way. So I'm just speaking from that perspective. No, no, no. I'm not I, trying I, to defend it. So I, I got what you guys are saying. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that he did. He doesn't love his son. I'm saying that there's from what Cheyenne and Chris are talking about. There's everyone in that situation is different to everyone and how they do it. It's how they do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. I think Chris was about to say something earlier. I, I was just also going to thank Suzanne for sharing that, 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 that intense. Um, but what, you know, I had a friend growing up where he came out and he talked to us so many times about coming out to his parents. And it was, it wasn't that he thought that they'd reject him. He didn't want them to worry about them. And, and he didn't know how to tell them. And he always felt that his mom would be okay with it, but his dad would be the one that would struggle. He came out to them and his father immediately said, it's okay. And I love you and hugged him. And his mother said, get out of our house. I never want to see you. again." And I'll I'll never forget his story and how devastated he was. I'll never forget it. And I I think part of it is just because society is so, um, my opinion is so patriarchal and had this, this, uh, this notion of what it means to be a man and all that stuff that it's in people's brains like you know males are not going to be as accepting dads are not going to be as accepting and that's why it's used they're usually more than more than likely often the the last person to know when someone comes out because of the way our society is structured um yeah um can I piggy off of that real fast? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think, too, because the fact that you got to think about nowadays, kids these days with the media, how things are so structured. This is what a man's supposed to do. This is what a man's supposed to look like. This is what a man is compared to what some other people have grown up to see that didn't have a male figure in their life like I did. And I didn't know my I don't know my biological father. I don't know that side at all. So it's hard when growing up without a male figure and having my grandmother be my mom and my dad at the same time. So, you know, I didn't get to learn how to shave for my father. I didn't get to, you know, go play sports and go do stuff. You know, I had to learn things on my own and have my own experiences for my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wrong in media that everything is so constructive of how a man should be and how a woman should be. It doesn't say that, you know, a gay male can still be those things, but can have a family on the side. That's also still frowned upon about gay couples still having children. It's becoming more accepted now for them to adopt, mm-hmm. but it still is a bit like, I know it's still a big thing that it's not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all agree that a man's role is to be supported, loving and present. I think, yeah, which is the same, funnily enough, as the female role. Right, right. Well, that's a great yeah. way to segue. <laughs> that's a great way to segue into our next question. 
you know, this has been a great conversation, and I kind of want to piggyback off of that and talk to Chris and Cheyenne about how you guys have dealt with stigmas and in- ignorance when you first came out versus how you deal with the, how you, you deal with them now. Because I know like times have changed, quote unquote, not not as significant as we want them to change, but they have changed from the time that you came out, Chris, and from the time that you came out. So how do you guys, how have you guys dealt with stigmas in the past and how do you deal with it now? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I just say, Ramar, that I, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I've never, twice in my life, I've had um, a, a homophobic slur hurled my way. And in neither instance did I think anything other than what an idiot. So I, I've never, I've never had face-to-face confrontation like so many people have. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, and that's some, and sometimes I wonder, it's like, well, why do you struggle with it so bad? Um, but just for some of us and for many of us, I think, um, so much of it is just internal self-acceptance, um, that is part of our journey. And for me, it was all of my journey. So, um, I, I'm very blessed to say I've never, other than those two little incidents, um, I've never really had anyone be belligerent about that aspect of, of who I am. And with me, I have experienced it face to face. I experienced the homophobe. I experienced the racial slurs too, as well. I have been, I have had so many alterations that scare me that I didn't think that I was going to live. Um, I've been cornered in bars before because of people knowing that I'm gay or that I'm black and that I don't belong on this side of town. When I was out with my friends. And lucky enough that I've also have known some people who were very supportive and very protected of me that always watched out for me. Now, when I first came out, I wasn't full acceptance with myself, but I know it's something I need to get off my chest. But people would say things to me and I would just go right and hide in the corner and cry about it. Um, once I graduated high school and I moved away for college and I was actually on my own and I was in a new city by myself. I had to learn how to grow a thicker skin. I had to learn how to let things roll off my back. Um, I, always say, I always say this every time. When I turned 18, I don't know, it was like a light bulb that came on and I just was tough and I just didn't care what people said about me. I didn't care. I know who I was. I know the people who love me and accept me and they know who I am. So for somebody to call me this, then you're you're an idiot. You don't know who I am. You didn't take the time to get to know me. You know, I am, like I said, I'm an open book now. I don't really care. You ask me a question, I'm going to tell it how it is. That's just how, finally, I, like I said, it was like a light bulb that came on for me. And it has helped me so much in my journey and my work and my life and to be the person who I am today. So, Cheyenne, since you're talking about uh turning light bulbs on and being honest and upfront <laughs> in our, obviously we're the triple ALC. So um, we want to look at it from a black perspective too, right? Yeah. What are the, what are, what are those obstacles? Because we know the black community is not a monolith. We know that in certain parts of the black community, it's all acceptance. And then in other parts, it's, it's really bad. Yeah. Right. Um, it's tough. I, I would like to think that, 
our community as a whole is more accepting than than other groups. But, you know, it, it really falls into how religious they are, really. It really comes down to really religiosity, in my opinion. But I think this religious is the place. Yeah, go ahead and give me your perspective on black and and, and being. Um, so I didn't come from a very religious family, but um, and the neighborhood that I grew up in wasn't the best. So a lot of the African community were gangsters. They were that stereotype, I should say. The stereotype that everybody assumes that we are. And I was never that way. I was mm-hmm. never the one that was getting in trouble, starting fights and stuff. I, I kept to myself, I was a loner. <laughs> I will admit, I was a loner. I was super shy. I might not seem that I'm shy now, but if you met me 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have done this. There would have been no way that I would have ever be where I'm at now and to overcome the struggles that I've come through, especially in the Black community, because there weren't very many accepting people there. Um, I didn't get the support that I should have. I received it more from my white friends. Mm-hmm. My white friends were there for me. I, you know, that's who I hung out with more than most. I didn't really hang out with black people too much because they were so crucial and so hard and so judgmental that I never had any friends that were black. I can count on one hand of how many black friends I have. And I'm trying to get more out of that mindset of being younger and dealing with the ignorance of people that I need to open my horizons more and start letting people in because I put up a wall so fast that I just assume that everybody's going to judge me. So I have this, my tough skin on where I'm going to rebuttal back. So um, I'll say this, Cheyenne, just know you have three new friends on this podcast, three new black friends on this podcast, Elmer and myself and Suzanne. And Paul is an honor. Paul, you're not black. (laughs) 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 You're British. I mean, I I was I was just going to ask you about, you know, 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people, especially a lot of black people just you know, with everything that was going on, can you talk about, I mean, your some of your experiences with the last year of being Black and being gay and just, you know, some of the stuff you may have had to deal with or overcome and just, you know, um, any any challenges that you had last year and how you overcame them and how you're better for them this year? Um, let's just say it was really, really hard. It was, it was devastating. I have never felt so out of place. I've never felt so that I wasn't welcome because of the color of my skin. Um, I feared every day leaving my house. I felt like that, some days I still do, I feel like I have a target on my back. I feel like because I am black, I am gay, that it's a target on my back and I'm an easy target for somebody to hurt. Um, I stopped doing a lot of things. I used to be a runner. I used to go for runs and walks in the park. But when the protesting and stuff started happening, I immediately just reclused into my house. Um, I even went to my store manager at one point that, you know, I didn't want to close the store because I wasn't a receiver yet. I just came back. You know, I didn't want to close the store because I was afraid of the rioting and the looting of the stores and I didn't want to deal with it. 
I didn't want to have to deal with being out in the dark and somebody attacking me as I'm walking to my car or to my home. Um, I it it was hard. I felt I actually fell back into a depression again, and it it took some some help of myself and others to get the medical help that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard. I I cried a lot. I will I will admit I cried a lot, and I've I cried to my managers too because I was afraid to just even do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I I just made a connection with you because I am also a runner and everyone, uh, everything was going on last year. I was like, no, I'm not going running anymore because we live in Idaho and we are a minority here. And I am, I'm like six foot one and I'm like, you know what? I'm already a, uh, uh, seen as a threat to some people. I am not going running. I'm not going walking in the park. And, you know, my wife and I had similar experiences like that where my wife is black. Also, we have a, a little boy and she would be every day. She would talk about I'm not sure if I'm going to see my husband when I go home today because I don't know what's going to go on in the world. And it was just, you know, that that we both went into therapy because we were like, we need to, like, talk to someone professionally to deal with these emotions and go through this and. Uh, for you listeners, we have a episode three of our podcast was on mental health. Episode three or four, so you can go listen to that. But um, yeah, it hasn't been posted yet, Paul. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever Paul posts it, I would highly recommend going and listening to it. So you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So I do have a question for Chris specifically. What is the correct acronym that we should be using <laughs> i love that one. Um, and, and i'll just tell you I, I like it because it's a little bit of a um, lightning rod for our community where people feel like well we demand you say all of our acronyms in this order <laughs> and i think it, you know we're, we're just kind of like our original name when we formed at safeway 11 years ago was gala for gay and lesbian alliance Mm-hmm. It took years for people to say that's not inclusive and us to go, well, yeah, we kind of knew, but we weren't too worried. And we got to the point just this past year where someone said, you need to change it because it's not right. So I think you can say LGBTQ um, and the Q and then someone, some people extend it to LGBTQQIA, which are queer, questioning, intersex and asexual. But I'll just say, if you say LGBTQ, which is what I tend to say, um, people are fine with that. And even that's a mouthful to say when you're saying it, you know, 10 times in a, uh, <laughs> a presentation, right? Yeah, that's but it's, right. Yeah. It's, you know, I think most people are okay with that. That's why I stopped putting anything after the first Q. Um, we, in writing, we put Q plus, you know, so all those other ones too. We're right. trying to be inclusive, but uh, yeah, a few years ago, it started to get a little out of control. Right. You know? and- and for us as allies, I never want to say like the wrong thing and not be inclusive. But then I'm like, I this is not my community. I don't know what all the letters are. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So I'm like, and and so thank you for answering that question. So now I know I can just say LGBTQ or LGBTQ plus, and most people will accept that. I guess, I right. guess there there'll always be someone that will be offended that I'm. You know that you're not being inclusive enough, but 
you know, can, can we just shorten it to LG plus? That that would be helpful. It, it would, well, just like black, African American. Letters all around, like I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because I do it myself. I I confuse myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I I should feel bad because I'm part of this community and I can't ever say the the letters correct. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, wait till we get to pronouns, guys. <laughs> oh, I know, <laughs> right? It's all too. over. Um, but no, it, you know, I, you know, I don't care. I, and I, here's my thing: if you're coming from a place where you're speaking respectfully and you're willing to listen, most people are not going <laughs> to penalize you for saying something wrong Correct. or just calling us gays. You know, I, I don't, I personally don't really care. Um, and I, I would like to think of our community has been through enough that they're forgiving enough that if people make mistakes as long as you're willing to you know try then we, we can get over it I, and i think you said something very uh profound there you know chris you know just come come with empathy and love and wanting to understand and you know for me i always try to ask that person what they prefer to be called or what you know they're now what their pronouns are or what 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 they want to be called because that helps me understand more about that community plus i i think it helps that person feel seen and acknowledged yeah i, I also think though going back to knowing your audience knowing who you're know who you're talking to like chris says he doesn't mind the, i don't mind either the gays you you call me gay the gays. Um, I just think it. I, like I, I just think it, it depends on your audience. It depends on who the person is. Right. Because I mean, yeah, you can say true. anything, and somebody's going to take it the wrong way. That's right. just yep. how it is nowadays. You say one thing that you say to your friends, but you say to somebody else is like, "Oh, you're not supposed to say that." I'm like, "Well, it's okay for me to say it this way, but I can't." So it it's about knowing your audience. I think right. too. Well. Right. Yeah, well, I, I always say, Paul. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You got it, Chris. No, I was just going to say, Elmer, you brought up on another call, and I, I really appreciated this. You said, why do I have to call my start calling my wife my partner? <laughs> and or and your that, husband. Was born, that was born of a movement, really, of heterosexual people wanting to show um, respect and, and kind of communal understanding with LGBTQ people um, to kind of equalize, because we're, we're still not equals. I mean, yes, marriage equality is... Uh, you know, been ruled on by the Supreme Court, but that doesn't mean that every state in the union supports us uh, right. always, right? Uh, there's still mm -hmm. a lot of to be done for equality itself. But I like that because I don't want someone to have to change because they think they're going to offend me. And if a heterosexual male wants to call his wife his wife, I'm certainly not going to argue with him about that. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, uh, Chris, Paul, can you, oh, sorry, go ahead, E.T. Oh, I thought Paul was going to chime in and say, what does Elmer always say? What was that little, you better approach me correctly? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was waiting for that. You're talking, you're talking about getting to know somebody? Yeah. Yeah, get to know somebody. Uh, just don't get, up in their, don't get up in their grill. There you go. <laughs> That's like our theme. But it, that has been a consistent theme in most of our podcasts so far, it's all about dealing with people with respect mm -hmm. and taking people for where they're at. I, I think almost every single podcast has, has, has said something uh, really similar to that um, when it comes to trying to figure out who they are. Yep.
You know, it, it, it's interesting because one of, one of the things that I did want to bring up on this, and this this is one that's always um, fascinated fascinated me in a bad way, is that, um, that there is a generation out there that when when you do come out and you you are known to be gay, automatically you're a sex offender and you want to go out with every guy on the planet. And uh, my response has always been, um, what makes you think that you're their type exactly? Um, <laughs> So uh, do, do you still deal with that? Do you, do, you, do you still see that happening? Not not only that, I think there's uh, something about being a pedophile. So there are still people out there that think you're a gay man, then I certainly don't want my young boys around you. And that, that to me is offensive. It's disturbing. It angers me um, because I care just, about, just as much about little kids and their safety as anyone else. Um, so to think that someone thinks that way really makes me mad um so yeah i think there's a lot of presumption out there um just like that got a long ways to go and one thing that i'll add is it feels like in the past four to five years there's been given a new platform to people that not only think that way but now want to vocalize openly that they don't agree with you they don't accept you and you're not an american and you're not an equal you know, not yes, that's that so has true. To... Talk about segues. I was just about to say that. Oh, no. <laughs> I, was, I, was here, I was here racking my brain. How are we going to do this? And thank you, Chris. So Great let's, time, talk Chris. About, <laughs> let's talk about patriotism now. <laughs> um, I think Elmer said something earlier about, you know, uh, dang it, I forgot what it was. But anyway, what does patriotism mean to everyone? I know it's something different to to each of us on the call. So we'll just go around and we'll start with uh, Cheyenne, then go Chris, uh, Suzanne, Elmer, myself, and then Paul. Like, what does patriotism mean to you? Oh, you got to put me on the spot like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. Um, honestly, to me, I feel like patriotism is, I don't know, I feel like it's a word to me because we're all human we're all the same we all have the same organs we all breathe the same i don't understand why everything has to be so different um i feel like nobody's really at a patriotism right now everybody's still at a um a stance and for everybody to be to, as one we all have to agree on the same thing i feel like once everybody gets on the same page and we can all agree on the same thing. I think that's what it means to me. Um, it's a little bit of a touchy subject for me because I don't fully understand it. Because I, you know, you hear so many different things from so many different people of how one way should be, how this way should be. And I think because I'm still in the younger generation, in that generation, I think. Um, my generation needs some molding. We still need some molding of understanding what that word actually means. If that makes any sense. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Um, I believe that patriotism is about holding American values foremost. Um, in a way that honors all Americans. And I think kind of like what Cheyenne said, um, 
we we are becoming a tribal nation broken along political lines to the point that our government basically does nothing to better our lives because they're at constant war. And that's where there are people that say, you can't say anything wrong about our history, which is nearly the definition of insanity to me, because if you don't recognize the mistakes we've made in the past, you will never build a better nation and bridge the things that divide us. Mm -hmm. So that's patriotism to me. I feel like I have it, but I feel like it has been, um, uh, I feel like, um it's been had it's there's an assault on it in our country and i just want to look for more and more ways to say how do we move beyond this but i i I just hear a particular faction in our country right now where i just think i can't agree with anything you're saying because everything you're saying to me is un-american i i feel like we can being an american is about being able to completely disagree with one another on political stances on certain things on things that we should spend money on but we shouldn't be arguing who's a better american or what group is more american or deserves more in this country because that's not what it's about awesome (laughs) i I like what you said like being americans being able to disagree with someone on whatever topic you know, but being able to disagree and then go have a drink with them or eat with them and still be friends with them. And that's one of the things I love about this this podcast that we talked about that we're on. None of us have the same uh, point of views on any subject. We may have similar things, but they're not the same. But we're still all, you know, friends. We're still all new friends here, Cheyenne, new friends, you know, and we're, we're still all <laughs> and, uh, and Chris and you know, we're still all friends with each other we're still all amicable amicable with each other but we still all respect each other and i think that's one thing that's missing right now in this country is like that a lot of people feel like if you disagree you can't you can't be friends with someone and i'm like no that that's not how that works so um et over to you what's your definition of patriotism it's a sticky subject it's something that i've been (laughs) but no i've been seriously thinking about a lot um, yeah, because number one, I'm from from our perspective, Triple uh, ALC, or just as a black person, we have a very different way to show patriotism than than the white community does. Uh, and in some respects, I feel like we love the country more than they do, and they don't even realize it because as horrible and as bad as we've been treated, we've still been on the front lines for the right reasons to support and to protect the country in in every war we're there even in the 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 revolution a large group of us went over to the british to fight for our own freedom but there were still i mean the first person that died in the revolution was crispus addicts and if you don't know who crispus addicts is look him up the name alone should tell you who he is dark the dark (laughs) brother that got shot for uh, for <laughs> he was the first one first person to get shot was a brother for the revolution so like a scary again <laughs> again we we as a people have always been patriotic but mm-hmm. the thing about us is we don't show it in the same way that 
that our 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 other counterparts do. We're not going to be waving the flag like it's it's we it's our God and we mm-hmm. we we don't bow down to it. Um, but we do respect it. Don't come into don't come into my country and talk about America. I mean, just look at us in the Olympics, right? We'll kick your ass. Uh, <laughs> not in, not in I mean, just 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 in general. And then uh, the other part that I I kind of get confused about is I think kind of Chris where Chris is going is what is what truly is well Chris and Cheyenne what is a patriot really now I mean we we're gonna have to redefine these terms. Because I think I think patriotism has been um, bastardized, and now whenever even I never liked the New England Patriots anyway, but now when I see it, it's even worse. Um, so, because I I the people that I see proclaiming patriotism and saying that this is the way we should be are the people that I feel I respect their opinions on. Not saying I hate them, I just their opinions on what a patriot is. I. I agree with so it's it's kind of a it's a mixed bag and so when we celebrate the fourth of july we celebrate it for what it's meant to be uh but we also look back at, at what it is uh for us as black folks and say you know we 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 put a lot of blood uh into this country and, and that red and that flag does represent us uh completely <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not even looking at the chats. <laughs> this was a great podcast for a while. <laughs> what did I do? Not you. Just read the chat. I'm lost. I had to bring sports into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, that's a perfect. Yeah, if you can edit that, you should, Paul. You should, we should mention it. So, so Cheyenne puts in, had to bring sports into it, and then Chris followed up on it and said, totally lost the game. <laughs> and Cheyenne said, it's a dead topic now. So I, I just think that's funny. And these are the things that we can laugh about and talk yeah. about in community and and say, oh, that's a stereotype. Yeah, it is a stereotype. I know a lot of games guys that love sports but it's still right i still think that's funny yes. so anyway yes yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's the kiki that's what it is you got that <laughs> <laughs> right my fault all right thanks for sharing i did not know that i did this but i left all the non-americans for last i didn't really notice that fall from the uk uh... Suzanne yes. from Jamaica and me Remar. from Barbados. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it on purpose. I'm offended. But I think, no, but I think that's, <laughs> I think that's I a good thing because our idea of patriotism is probably different from people that are actually born in America. So yeah, I'd love to hear how you guys equate yeah. patriotism to your countries and how, how it's reflected. I'd love to hear that. So kind of like you, E.T., I'll go first. Just it's something that I'm still trying to process um, because it's not. I think when I came to the U.S. in 2010, I never really knew what like patriotism was because it's not. It's a huge thing in America and it's not anywhere else in the world. 
And uh, when I got here, I was like, what, what, what is all of this? Why are we, why are we doing this? So I, and I've been here for like 10, 11 years. So I'm still like, I still haven't like really understood what that was all about. But I mean, I have pride in where I come from and from Barbados, tiny island in the Caribbean. So I have pride and, you know, national pride when we're at the Olympics or I see my, because it's a tiny island. So anytime I see it on TV or anywhere in the US or whatever, I'm like, that's where I'm from. They Someone knows where I'm from because it's on there. So I pride that way. But, you know, kind of what ET was talking about with, you know, flags all over the place and all the American like memorabilia, that was uh, difficult for me to understand when I first got here because I'm like, do you guys not know that you live here? We know that you're American. We like, we we get it. So um, it, it's my idea of patriotism is kind of I'm still confused on what it is because although I'm from another country and I'm an immigrant, I live here now, and my son is American. So it's like I have to figure out that way of blending two worlds to where he still has his heritage from Barbados plus his mom's heritage from America. So it's like, how do I blend all of that together and then still uh, love and recognize where I'm from? Because sometimes I feel like when I see patriotism here, I feel like you, if you're a, a patriot of America, you can't be a patriot of anywhere else. You can't show pride in yes. where you're actually from. So I struggle with that a lot to be, you know, patriotic and grateful that I'm in this country, but still represent where I'm from. So I don't know if that answered anything, because like I said, I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. So, yeah. Uh, Paul or Suzanne, what have you guys- I'm gonna defer to Suzanne because <laughs> she left us till last. I don't want her to feel like she was last. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Suzanne. Go ahead, Suzanne. I, and just to put it out there, I was just joking. <laughs> I was not serious about being offended. <laughs> okay. Uh, I echo what uh, Chris said and what Elmer says too as well. And I love what Cheyenne said. Um, I am along the same lines with Remar. I'm from Jamaica and Jamaica will, I am a Jamaican true and true. That is who I am everything you know it's in my blood and so when i came here the same thing as remar i didn't understand why everybody was what's this pride thing enough um patriotism thing you know and because in jamaica we we are proud jamaicans everybody knows it but one thing about our culture is that we have so many our national motto is out of many one people. We have Chinese, we have Indians, we have we have we have Germans. There's a there's a town called Germantown, you know, so we have a lot of uh, other cultures in within our Jamaican culture. My great grandmother was a Jew, so she was white with long lily white hair. And so you will have a mixture of different races combined in your family. And so everybody in Jamaica considers themselves Jamaican. You're not, you know, 
this Jamaican or this American or whatever. Everybody, you're just Jamaican. You see yourself as a Jamaican, whether you're Indian, whatever, whatever you look like. And so when I came here, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I felt. So I, it took me a long time, years and years for me to feel any kind of patriotism as an American. Um, my children, I raised them, they, they know they're American, but they, I think they align more with their Jamaican roots than, uh, with America, but, uh, well, I think they do, but <laughs> anyway, um, now just as, uh, I think, I don't remember who said it, I'm still trying to. I feel more patriotic than I did when I first came here, obviously. But with the way the country is now, sometimes I don't want to even say I'm an American because I feel so ashamed of how we behave as a nation. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, we have people who are in, in our government that are showing a side that we are just ashamed of, you know, so my patriotism wanes sometimes because of that. But I, I would say I'm very much Jamaican more than I am. My patriotism <laughs> is more aligned with my Jamaican heritage than US. Yeah. Although, yeah. you know, I, it feels like home here. Obviously, I've been here for over 30 years. I feel, you know, when I go home and I come back, it's like, ah, oh, I'm glad to be back home. But Jamaica will always be my home. That's my true love. I, you know, I'm a Jamaican uh, from the food, from how I, how I talk, my beliefs, you know, how I carry myself. That's who I am. Awesome. Paul? And for and for Remar or anybody out there, I will always root for a Jamaican in the Olympics <laughs> if we are in a race. So uh, I will be rooting for Jamaica, not the Americans. It all it always is that way. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Suzanne. Anytime, anytime Barbados is on a world stage in sports, that's who I'm rooting for. Me too. <laughs> the Americans can come second. Jamaicans have to come first. There you go. <laughs> Well, honestly, I only came over here to check out the colonies and see how they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're about uh, a thousand years too late. I love years. that one. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and in, in all seriousness, the, uh, Rima didn't use the line that we both use every single time we talk about this stuff, which is that Patriotism is really, it, it's, I mean, the pure definition of it, if I'm to read it, is uh, the quality of being a, a patriotic is a devotion to and vigorous support for one's country. And I think what, and Rima, we talked about this many times, what everybody forgets is that America is still, I mean, was it 247 years old? I mean, it's a young country. It's an experiment. It's the great experiment and it's constantly changing. So those patriotic values are going to change with it. If you truly are a patriot of America, then you are willing to adapt and change 
and support of that country because that is what it's supposed to do. If we didn't, then we'd still have slavery. Mm-hmm. We'd still have every other bad thing that happened. But what happens is you evolve, the experiment changes. I'm not saying that that was an experiment, and if it was, it was the worst one ever. But um, to be a patriot to me means to accept and embrace change and realize that this country is a great country and it can be better all the time. But you have to embrace that. It's not about a flag. It's not about 50 states. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about how you identify. Um, It's about being one and adapting and saying, I'm American. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what patriotism is to me. And after everything we've discussed today, yes, we've made it. We've made a lot of changes. Um, You know, we've we've made a lot of good changes. Um, And again, it's not fast enough, but they are changing. Um, And to me, while that's still happening, I would say, yes, I'm a patriot. If all of this was to come to a grinding halt and we were willing to live in the lives that we were in 30 years ago, 40 years ago, then I would say, no, this isn't where I want to be. But I know that it can change and I know that it will change. Um, So I I would say I am patriotic, but but not the way that it's probably deemed for the 4th of July, which is flags everywhere, ticker tape everywhere. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah, that's not not the way I see it. And I, 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 the segue off of that, I think, you know, our relationship, you know, Triple ALC talks about a lot of issues within the black community, especially in the black community. I feel like we have a complicated relationship with, you know, patriotism, the country and the flag itself, just because of, uh, I think Elmer was talking about this earlier, just that, um, that complicated relationship with what we, we love this country, but it doesn't feel like the country loves us back the way that we loves it love it most of the time so we have that complicated relationship where we're like you know i love this country but why am i doing all this what 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 is it for and you know chris i'm gonna bring in sports again so just get ready um um, you know back in the i think it was the 60s tommy smith and um i forgot what the other guy Tommy Smith and, and the Carlos, other guy Carlos, yeah, uh, raised the black fist to protest, you know, um, civil unrest in America. And they came back home to, they had just won gold and silver, silver, I believe, 200 meters in the Olympics for U.S. They did that, came back home to protest, no jobs, racism, all that stuff. And I'm like, you think about it, someone that just competed at the highest level and 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 won olympic medals for the country had the flag draped across them and just showed how proud they were to do that but they were protesting that not everything was right they come home to that level of bigotry and you see it like you know still going on with you know muhammad ali when he refused to go to the vietnam war is that correct mm-hmm. um and then you know Uh, I was reading an article from uh, NPR the other day, and I think I put it in the chat for you guys, uh, but it was just talking about black patriotism. 
was, the title was Black Patriotism. One love of country means. Um, sorry, let me read it for you. When love of country means holding it accountable to the history of the country. And I think, Chris, you talked about this earlier, where a lot of people want to erase that history and not really acknowledge it. And for me, I'm like, that was part of the history of this country. Yes, it was bad. Yes, it was terrible. But that's part of the history of it. That's woven into the fabric of this country. We need to acknowledge it, acknowledge that it was wrong and move on from it and get better because of it. And, you know, any of your thoughts on, you know, that complicated relationship with patriotism, you know, the flag, whatever it may be, just open for conversation right now. Uh, I, I wanted to say that when I was younger, I felt like patriotism was more real than it is today, where I saw people that had been, you know, um, second generation Chinese who were just as proud as I was as having lived here all my life. Mm -hmm. What's happened in the past half a decade is is exactly what you said, Ramar. It's it's like instead of learning those, because I didn't know about Black Wall Street. No one told me about that in school. And to see someone, um, you know, a celebrity come out and say, I was never taught that and I feel ignorant for it. And that's wrong that we don't do that. This whole thing around critical race theory is it's so important because you're right. I mean, what we did to American Indians, what we did to blacks, what we did to Asians, mm -hmm. all and it, in 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 order to not repeat the horrors of the past, we have to acknowledge, right? So Yeah. And going off of what you just said with Black Wall Street, uh, Juneteenth is coming up next week. And I didn't know about Juneteenth until two years ago. And I was talking to my wife is American. She was born and raised here. She didn't know about it till two years ago also. And I'm like, how is that even a thing? And uh, we just got news today from Jonathan uh, Mays, our SVP, that Juneteenth is now being, there was a bill passed in the Senate today that it's now being recognized as a national holiday. Oh, so, was it passed? Uh, I believe that's what Jonathan sent out this morning. So yeah, we yesterday. are making we are making progress, but it's like all of these things, like Black Wall Street, Juneteenth, um, all these things that happened in the past. A lot of young Americans don't even know about them because they're not taught in schools. And I see Cheyenne <laughs> shaking his head. You know, he he probably didn't know about this stuff. Am I right, Cheyenne? You're muted. You're on, you're on mute. You're on mute. He's actually not showing us on mute. Huh? No. It looks <laughs> like you're you're making great points, so let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it's I mean, now that my wife and I have a son, we're just like making sure that we know all of these historical things so we can teach him. I remember I had a conversation with Elmer. He, we were talking about. I think it was like two years ago when we did our Black History um, Museum piece. And he was telling me that um, the Lone Ranger is based on a Black guy named uh, Bass Reeves. Is that right, Elmer? Mm -hmm. That's yep. it. And I was like, no way, Elmer. That's not right. And I Googled it, and it's literally the history is there. And I'm like, wow, didn't even know this. And crazy. If you stuff. found that on the wiki page, Elmer might have written it. 
Hey, I'm a Lone Ranger fan way back in the day. I thought about that and I did like credible research. So it's it's up there. But it, it, it just to your point, Ramar, it's crazy in this day and age that you could tell certain Americans that Elvis Presley stole his music from black musicians and they get upset. It's like, yeah, it's a fact he did. We know he did. Get over it. You know, it's just it's the past, you know, yeah. but so many people that just feel that highlighting any unfairness to anyone that wasn't white somehow detracts from us all as Americans. And I, we've got to get beyond that. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Paul said about, you know, we have the, the our American heroes and the flag on such a pedestal to where if anyone says anything negative about it, it's like you're attacking them. And it's like, no, this is actually true. This actually happened. Look it up. Um, well, I, I think it goes back to to them feeling like they're losing their heritage and they're losing their history and they're losing their privilege. And I think the per I've, I've mentioned this before, but I think the perfect example was during the COVID epidemic when uh, that large that same group of people it feels like, but I I could be wrong. I, I've never done a census or a, a study on it, but. It seemed like that same group of people felt like wearing a mask, you were taking away their rights or their privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and as a as a as a gay man, it, you never had a right to get married. Right. Your actual rights and privileges got taken away. You didn't have that. That's an actual uh, privilege that was taken away. But yet all we do is peacefully protest that. Right. right. And then we try to make legislation go through. But would it? Um, and, and as black black folks, uh, we we just wanted to be seen more than three fifths of a man. Yep. <laughs> right. And as women, you through the suffrage act, you wanted to just be able to vote yourselves. Right. They, they didn't even have an opportunity to vote. So all of these. These are true um, constitutional rights that were never allotted to or given to certain groups of people. And yet we acted way more mature about those situations than they did about a stupid mask. Right. And then and they're making up all these false accusations. So it's like a spoiled child. A spoiled child is used to getting everything that they wanted. And then yeah. once they don't get that one thing or they feel like they're less than what they were, then their whole world crumbles. But for those of us who have not been treated properly, we say, oh, Okay, I guess we have to work harder for it, or we have to try to make it better. And we're looked upon as though we're complaining about something, yeah. or, or in other words, the redheaded stepchild, right? So, yeah. go ahead, Cheyenne. Can you hear me now? Oh, we got the big echo though. What are you out in the you, you need in the stadium, bro? <laughs> Has my phone? Is it still echoing? There oh, we go. No, you're fine. Okay, I had to turn down my sound on my computer. Uh, no, I was going to go back over the June, June, June. Oh, I can never say it right. Juneteenth. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about it until this year. Actually, until about a couple weeks ago. Really? Uh, I did not know anything about it. I also, I didn't. So, growing up too, I didn't really know a lot about black cultural either. Mm -hmm. That's because you um, were hanging it. out with all white people at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sorry. I'm messing with you. Hey, that's our fan. 
family does that, right? That's yeah. why everybody gives me a hard time. <laughs> I, I love no, you, bro. I love you. <laughs> it's simply been a learning experience. I just think because growing up to that um, black people weren't very accepting that I think a part of me never wanted to accept that side of my heritage to mm-hmm. learn that side, to um, get to know that side. So I think a lot of that's my own ignorance that I didn't want to take the step of doing my own research. Mm-hmm. Um, going back on that, I know Oregon as of next year, they're recognizing Juneteenth as a, um, a state holiday too. Um, that's awesome. And that was just my little spiel that I was trying to say before nobody could hear me. And I was looking really serious and everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 really funny when you're talking about Elvis taking the, the sorry the songs as well and and how they were stolen. It's quite amazing how many people don't realize what's attributed to who. And although Alan Menken gets attributed for all of his accomplishments, and if you don't know who he is, you should look him up. Um, he uh, he was a songwriter. He wrote Little Shop of Horrors, and he also did all of the music for Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And when he was done is when he uh, well he'd already been kind of out um from from what i've uh, from what i understand from watching his life story um but when he came out they were like why didn't you tell anybody and he said because i wanted to do the little mermaid mm. yeah <laughs> or else he wouldn't have a chance yeah and this and he was worried that if disney found out they would be worried about yeah somebody gay being on doing the songs for a children's movie yeah. Which which is just just mind blowing to me because today you wouldn't even think about it. I don't I don't think anyway. I'm sure there's still people out there that do, um, but but for the most part, I don't think anybody would even give it a second thought. Yeah, Suzanne, to answer your question, Alan Menken is a composer and songwriter. Uh, how do you spell the last name? M E N K E M E N K E N. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, his you know, story. Th- if you have Disney Plus, his um, his his uh, documentary is on there. Oh wow! Really? Oh. One of the things that I love about uh, being raised in Jamaica and being a Jamaican is I could see the difference in how we, as a when I say we, mean Jamaicans, see ourselves. Like I said, we have so many different nationalities in Jamaica and we all see ourselves as Jamaican. We're not Chinese Jamaican, we're not Indian Jamaican. We all consider ourselves Jamaican. Mm -hmm. And when I came here for many years, I did not feel a part of our, you know, America because of that. I felt like, you know, I live here and I'm raising my children here, but I'm I'm not a part of America. And of course that transitioned later, but I think when you're accepting of everybody and everybody sees themselves as one, not that we and I don't like the the word kind of melting pot because that 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 has several different connotations for different people, but um we're all individual cultures, whether you're Chinese or whatever, but but if you if you accept everybody and see each other as one, so to speak, um, 
then that journey as being together as a group, you know, from we're all from different states or different countries or things like that. We overcome those hurdles. And that's one of the wonderful things that I can take away from being raised in raised, born and raised in Jamaica. Um, and that's that's I think one of the things that was difficult for me in calling myself American because for many years I was a um, I was a I, I keep using the word alien I was an immigrant you know um, and I did not want to be a, an American mm -hmm. and then eventually I did but um, you know I got my citizenship but I was not for a long time yeah uh, Cheyenne, can you elaborate on what you're saying in the chat? Would you mind elaborating on that? Um, pick off of what Suzanne said, it's true. Um, in America, you hear so much of saying that they're Chinese American, you're African American, you're, you know, Chinese American. Anywhere else in the country, if you live there, you're that nationality. Nobody says, like she was saying in Jamaica, you're not Asian Jamaican. You're not Asian African. You know, you're that where you're at. Right. And I feel like that has to go off of two of, we don't unite like that. Everything has to be separated into a category. Mm -hmm. It always has been. And, it, and I feel like that's definitely a step that we need to take as Americans, because we're all, Amer all Americans or, you know, have our citizenship, but still in a sense of a way, every, that's something that needs to be spoken about. Agreed. Yeah, I, I would say I don't disagree entirely with you, Cheyenne, but I, I will say there are other countries that have similar race issues, right? Um, and other things that just go on in other countries. You look at the caste system in India, mm -hmm. uh, there are things that happen in England, you know, so no, I would say no one's perfect, but certainly smaller nations seem to to be more like what you and Suzanne are saying. Um, we're just at a at a boiling point, and I I, I want to see us get back to what I used to remember as patriotism, the cross lines of whether you were born here, where you came from, what generation came here first. But we we've, we've got a long way to get back to that. So these are great perspectives. All right, I think we're at time, aren't we, Alma? <laughs> yep, I was going to say, I was about to say, it seems like a good time to, yeah. to kind of end it. Before, well, yeah, we can end it. You just want to end it like that, or ET, are you going to? Oh, he's got to do his outro. He's got to no, do his thing. that was Wait. you. I said you were going to do it. Oh, you did? Yeah, <laughs> my man. <laughs> so, that was a great conversation, and I just want to thank our guest, Chris Columbana. The, you are, ah, dang it. I'm gonna start Elmer's wearing off on me. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's the same thing every two freaking weeks. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this uh, was. If you want professionals, go go get some professional. Give me some professional money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this was a great conversation, guys, and I just. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, Chris, and with you, Cheyenne. Thank you guys Thank you. for taking the time to be a part of the podcast and just sharing your story, um, allowing us to be in your community as allies. Um, I know we talked about that, Cheyenne. You have 
more friends in the triple alc now and chris you've always been a friend to us so you're you're just you're just a friend to us anyway so i just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and for you guests out there that want to learn more about triple alc or the pride alliance uh, you can go on to the SharePoint for for Albertsons, albertsons.com on the SharePoint and go to. You can go on to, yeah, you go to the uh, SharePoint site and you can just redirect there to the diversity and inclusion page and then you'll be able to navigate to any of the uh, organizations that we currently have out there up and running.